Welcome to the Understanding Politics Podcast. This is Alexander Timothy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Williams, remotely today for our first online episode. Today, we're going to be discussing a lot of current news that's been going on in the United States and around the world. Um, so the first thing we'd like to touch on uh, would be, obviously, there's a lot of controversy going on with Elon Musk, uh, continually since the last time we spoke. Uh, um, and and what, the one thing we want to talk about is his recent tweet, which he tweeted in the middle of this week about uh, prosecute Fauci using that. He's like, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. Uh, this is uh, yet another stunt by Elon Musk, which has <clears throat> some very uh, non-bipartisan um, vibes to it. He's been he's he started Twitter. He wanted to make it a, a free speech platform. He wanted to be very uh, uh, non-political, but um, he seems to be taking a side on things. And, uh, and and Michael, I was wondering if you'd like to give your take on that that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it looks like rules for thee and not for me. Um, I mean, we also saw too. Musk has a history of everyone remembers his famous meme, uh, the one he did, the the far left the left is moving farther to the left and the right is staying the same. So the center of the political spectrum is kind of moving to the left, the whole concept of the Overton window. And I think Musk is trying to get into that with some of his tweets about, you know, wokeness going too far, um, you know, the, the pronouns, you know, prosecute Fauci. Um, I, you know, sometimes it can, it can be a little silly to, you know, come out and like say your pronouns or especially if someone can, you know, identify you as male or female, but I think sometimes Musk outrage goes a little bit too far. Um, but I just think this was another, um, case of him kind of, you know, pandering to the right, um, most of the time on Twitter and then, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when he has to like face the political realities of this world you know and like you know talking about Fauci and like ultimately we'll talk about it um actually we can talk about it right now but the the jet account that was made like Alex said he's been such a free speech warrior when it comes to Twitter um against Jack Dorsey uh the former owner of Twitter and kind of against this you know the like liberal the political correctness against that but then when it comes to his own speech and his own following and his own personal security on the internet, um, he, he uh, rules do not apply to Elon. So I don't know, Alex, if you wanted to talk a little bit more about this uh, jet. Yeah. Uh, 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 so, so for those who don't know, basically what this jet account was, it's called Elon jet. And um, basically what it was is it's, it, it was run by a kid who was basically tracking Elon's jet where he was going. And it was kind of more of a gag thing. I, I think that the kid was actually like an Elon fan. Uh, but, but recently it's been drawn more out into the light as a, you know, it's a doxing thing. Uh, and then there was a whole controversy on Twitter with Elon banning a bunch of journalists for sharing links uh, that he said were doxing him. Um, and obviously I think that me and Michael could both agree that doxing is not a good thing, should not happen. Um, but the journalists were suspended for, uh, you know, in my view, it wasn't as, as big of a, uh, a doxing thing. And, and if you look at what they were actually sharing, most of the, most of the journalists who were banned were not actually just sharing his direct location. It was, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the whole Elon airplane thing in a nutshell. He joined a call with a bunch of journalists and uh, he kind of like just left in the middle of it when they're asking him questions, which is is not a good look. 
Uh, and also another weird thing that during his call, you could just hear him typing away. It sounded like he was eating something while he was on the call, which uh, I guess that's not relevant, but I just thought it was a little bit funny. Um, so, and the next thing we wanted to dive into is- or Can I actually say something? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to add one last thing because we'll, we're also going to talk about free speech and near the end of the episode, but uh, I was listening to Breaking Points, uh, Crystal Ball and uh, Sagar and Jetty for anyone who listens to them. And uh, they made a really good point. Um, they brought up uh, Emmanuel Macron and uh, kind of France and their different rules around free speech. And ultimately at the end of the day, I think the question that we need to be asking as people who are trying to you know, understand uh, not even America better, but, but political systems better is, do we want Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey officiating speech in, um, in American political discourse in the open market? Or do we want the government, um, people who are democratically elected uh, by everyday people like us, you know, to have a say in what goes on with Twitter and all this, you know, silliness that has kind of been left up to uh, people with a lot more money than me and Alex. So, you know, something we'll talk about, but uh, I just think it's, uh, and I also know, you know, government corporation, you know, we've talked about that battle before, but it's just, you know, who who do you want representing you at the end of right. the day? Right, right. Yeah. And and to, to get a little bit more into that, it's <laughs> it's it's the idea of, you know, pro- professionalism, professionals in the workplace. I don't know, it, there, there's a book I've been reading, Listen Liberal. Uh, it's 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 a very interesting take and kind of a analysis of the Democratic Party. And, and, and there's a lot of talk about how <clears throat> today's modern like society is you've got a lot of professionals running things and professionals in the government. And should that really be the case, like the top of the class at Harvard, that sort of person? And and I mean, Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey were both successful businessmen who are pr- viewed as professionals. So um, but but does that make them good regulators of free speech? That's that we'll get into that more later. Uh, yeah. We do have a few more things to talk about before we get into that. Um, next thing we wanted to touch on is FTX. Uh which is a, a crypto exchange. Um, if you, for those who don't know, uh, it's been you know they've, it's, they've had celebrities promoting it on like Super Bowl commercials. It's been pretty hope, high profile. It's been viewed as a very uh, a, a very like reliable, stable crypto, especially against other ones that are a lot more volatile. Uh, but you know, recently that's come crashing down, despite the fact that the the CEO or former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried uh, had tons of media interviews. He was kind of held as this like prodigy, this genius. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that he, uh, whether willingly or unwillingly, wittingly uh, uh, rather, uh, scammed people out of a lot of money. Uh, he's facing a lot of jail time. He was arrested in the Bahamas several days ago. Um, so yeah, so that's that's yeah that's another thing uh, with uh, crypto, uh, which seems to be the moral of the story is that cryptocurrency is not a stable uh, uh, investment and it's it's very volatile, and uh, you never do know what's going to happen. And we're going to get a little bit more into another cryptocurrency subject in in just a few moments here. But uh, we wanted to touch on campaign finance laws, I believe. So Michael, did you want to talk about any more about that? Yeah, I think um, I think SBF. Sam Bankman fraud, um, is what I would say. Uh, he actually violated campaign finance laws. Um, he, I think when, uh, I think an article said he was the third uh, highest Republican donor, but the thing is they can't trace any of his money 
because of Citizens United and because he never donated directly to the campaigns. He donated to these super PACs, which if you're familiar with Citizens United, all that stuff, that's, you know, the the freest form of speech, you know, it's these, it's these, um, these political action committees, that's what PAC stands for, they run these advertisements uh, right around election time or before election time, election time, oh God, about uh, candidates and issues. And uh, it's just um, a lot of a lot of his money has bought ads for um, both parties. Um, and it's kind of crazy, you know, we can't even trace, you know, what what the hell his money was going to and what kind of issues he was even campaigning for as crypto. Um, I'm sure I'm sure he sent to a lot of people who are in the political center uh, because I'm sure he wants things to continue the way of the status quo because ultimately at the end of the day, crypto in some of these guys' minds like Sam Bakeman Freed, um, they kind of want it to take over as a universal currency um, around the world, you know, getting rid of getting rid of exchange rates getting rid of foreign rates. Um, so they, the money would be a lot easier to spend, uh, to transfer through wire fees. Um, without wire fees, um, it's just, you know, it's this whole, you know, globalization, you know, the freer the market, the freer the people. Um, it's just, it's what he's going for, but we don't even know where his money was going to. And now he's billions of dollars in debt. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and he's, uh, uh, I'm no fortune teller, but I don't believe he's going to be contributing nearly as much in the 2024 campaign, especially yeah. if he's uh, behind prison bars. <clears throat> and, you know, as much as in a utopian society, having one global currency could be argued that could be a, a great development by some point of view. Uh, I don't believe that the current state of crypto is lending itself to that. <clears throat> uh, so the next thing we wanted to touch on is... Uh, Everybody's favorite congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia's 14th district, uh, was giving a speech over the weekend, I believe, or maybe during the beginning of the week. Uh, and she basically said <clears throat> that if she and Steve Bannon had organized January 6th, they would have brought guns, which she played as a joke. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I'm not quite sure how much of a joke it was. And um, they would have won, right? They would have won, I believe she said, too. So that's that's a... Not exactly shocking, but in the same way, it is a little bit, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> even for her, surprising it, to say the quiet part out loud, you know, uh, yeah. and, and and we're we're obviously leaning a little bit into our our, our left leaning uh, natures right here, but uh, um, <clears throat> you know, from from just a from from a centrist nonpartisan standpoint, just saying that alone is kind of a that's kind of a whoa. I mean, uh, you know, uh, a lot of reactionary stuff going on with the far right as per the status quo of that with the past five, six years. Um, <clears throat> so we want to touch a little bit on Title 42 stuff at the border. I also, just a quick thing. Yeah, the thing sure. is also just to, you know, kind of, you know, take off our lefty hats. Um, it's even it's even people like for example, we've talked about 2016 Trump, how he, you know, had the right critiques about Hillary, um, you know, wasn't wasn't right by any means, but was more populist, was more um, not really not really free market. I think populist is the right word um, and that, you know, he was rallying against the rich and the establishment and the corruption that we see over and over again in both parties. So, I mean, this this is what ultimately happens when, you know, 
Trump's ear is filled with, you know, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, and Jeff Sessions and Lindsey Graham, compared to when it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bober, um, Mark Wayne Mullen, um, other people who have, you know, spread conspiracy theories about COVID, um, have lied about the election before, uh, kind of Trump shift that even, you know, Republicans that, you know, <laughs> you know, would never vote for Democrats ever, or even people like Lindsey Graham, who have said it's time to move on from Trump, or Mitch McConnell, who is by no means in the political center, um, are saying to move on from Trump, is because of this, you know, almost, you know, Trump was populist, but he still believed in, you know, the Constitution and our government. Um, but Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't, and Steve Bannon doesn't. Um, so it's just, it's kind of crazy to see Trump slide and that uh, it's not really that any of his policy points have changed. It's that his means of getting to those policy goals have just, you know, whoo. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. You got, got some good points there. Um, uh, I mean, Trump himself is is radically different figure now than he was in 2015. So but but we could do a whole other episode on that uh, i think the next thing we wanted to touch on is um title 42 at the border uh which i believe was supposed to be ending uh within days i believe uh so basically that was kind of a policy that was uh enacted during uh the covid pandemic at the beginning in 2020 and it was kind of you know a, a way that they kept a lot of migrants out to try and you know keep the spread of covid down but they've uh, continued using it up until now and even though the pandemic is still going on uh, I, it's become more of a political thing it's become more of a, a way to keep it less people coming in uh, less about the uh, the uh, the covid concerns i think uh, so michael I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that yeah um look uh we need more immigrants um at the end of the day and look this is not a left or right thing uh, i was listening to meet the press um well, I guess that is a pretty uh, Democrat uh, news source. But uh, look, they had the uh, Federal Reserve Chair um, in, uh, not a Federal Reserve Chair, but someone who works at the Federal Reserve, basically saying, you know, that we're, we're going to miss out on like three or four trillion dollars of growth over the next 10 to 20 years. If we don't take another 10 million, if we, if we don't solve the labor shortage that is happening right now, um, I think the key problem uh, to inflation is not the crime. It's not, um, it's not price. It's not price gouging. It's not uh, supply chain issues. It's, we don't have enough people to work. Um, the problem is, you know, with, and the thing is, you know, with the federal reserve raising interest rates and stuff like that is um, we, we, the, the supply. So the supply and demand of the economy right now, we just don't have enough supply but the demand is there, you know, people still have a good amount of capital in this economy. And the thing is, we just, we don't have enough supply of workers to create the bigger demand that we need to be able to lower the prices for everyone. So the ultimate thing is, do we let in people from poorer countries like Latin America, like them, do we let them into America, let them work jobs that, you know, are not, not great jobs, um, you know, jobs that are slightly above the poverty line at this point. And I'm not using the congressional budgets numbers because that's um, quite frankly, not accurate. Um, 
Do we, do we let them come in and work the jobs that people aren't working? Or do we keep raising interest rates and, you know, hurting the middle class and then forcing them into these jobs? That's, that's basically the whole goal of the Federal Reserve at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I'd rather have people come in from poor countries and try to start a new life here than have people who are middle class and have to suffer because, you know, we have a declining birth rate. Um, I don't know, that's a very, you know, uh, economics 101 way. And it's a very classical economical way of thinking and that, you know, we need to increase supply so we can meet demand. But um, what do you think, Alex? Um, I think it's that straightforward for me. Um, so please, if you're if you're if you're looking to come to America, uh, come. We need you. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Kamala Harris said something something different, but uh, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm with you. What's that? She did, but uh, you know, Mayorkas, you know, we've had record numbers of crossings. Um, that's not that's not you know they're not. They're not dumb people in the in the cabinet and in the presidency. I mean, Kamala said do not come, but quite frankly, no one listens to the vice president. Um, it's it's look, it's that simple. I mean, yeah. look, it was it was a posture to kind of, you know, get to get to the center of voters, you know, to act like the Democratic Party is doing something about the crisis at the border. And look, there is a crisis at the border. OK, we do have drug cartels that are bringing in people at record numbers, putting them at harm's way. But the thing is, we need we need more money not to build the wall. We need more money to make sure that safe immigration is happening into this country. I I don't sorry, I cut you off, but no, you're, you're OK. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. I think that uh, you know, more people coming to the, com the country uh, is going to, you know, going to fill the jobs. They're going to ultimately, um, hit, you know, increase voters, increase people who are, uh, you know, citizens eventually. And ultimately, that's a positive for the country. This country was built on immigration. We've become an industrial powerhouse. We've become one of the, you know, arguably the most powerful country in the world uh, based entirely on people who have immigrated here. Uh, mm -hmm. So, to argue that I don't know that that oh we've we've like reached the threshold we don't need any more immigrants I think that's foolish and I think that everybody has something they can bring uh, and we do have a crisis at the border there's uh, there's issues going on there that obviously uh, you know um, I mean not just what Michael said but you know people children being packed into like uh, migrant detention facilities and, you know forced to sit on cots all day that's something that's been going on for the past three administrations though that's a whole separate issue we've got to deal with. And, um, you know, but, but that aside, uh, you know, uh, they're there because they're being detained, right? They're not being let in, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so if, if more people were to be let in, and obviously not a free-for-all, but, you know, legal migration and a little an ease into it, that sort of thing, I think that could be a positive for the country and especially for the future of this country. Yeah. Uh, so that's, okay. that's my take. Look at driving around upstate New York. Like, we, if we see at least this decade, like, more schools are closing, more houses are not being upkept. You know, some some homes are still empty from the 2009 economic recession. Yeah. Uh, the poverty rate in some of our counties, I know Cortland County is like 25, 30%. You know, um, the average, you know, people with, with a bachelor's degree is like 20%. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, we we desperately need more people to fund, you know, and if you're thinking about it in a neoliberal sense, 
we definitely need more people in this economy, unless we want to go a different way with our economy, which let's have that discussion. But if you're trying to do this thing right now, we need more migrants or we need to develop these countries that are really poor. Um, I know the Biden administration has sent $4 billion to Latin America. That's just not going to do it. But look, look at the Marshall Plan. Look at, you know, we had the good fortunes of, you know, countries like Greece, countries like, you know, Western Europe that have had less political turmoil historically than some of these Latin American countries. But, you know, there's... I don't, I would go as far to say it, but, you know, trying to, you know, write a constitution for some of these countries, you know, install safeguards, you know, whether that be political leaders, whether that be a police force, a military force, um, trying to restore chaos and trying to get them, you know, back to the fundamentals of, you know, a nice, like, free market capitalist country with a great rule of law and, you know, trying to equal opportunity. Um, in these countries. So that, I think those are the only two ways you can deal with it. You can't just put up a wall and call it a day because we're losing out on a market in America or we're losing out on a market in Latin America. And that just can't happen if we want to compete with China, if we want to compete with Russia, and if even if we want to compete with Europe. So yeah, I mean, those those countries aren't building walls and cutting each other off. And that's that's just severing ties when we should be building them. So I think we're I think we're on pretty much the same page there. Um, So now we're going to transition to the segment I'm sure you've all been waiting for, uh, which we (laughs) seem to be talking about uh, every week. And we probably will continue to do so. Uh, uh, Former President Donald Trump. I mean, this guy, uh, he's he's been up to a lot this week. Um, and the first thing I'd like to, I mean, he hasn't actually left his house, but <clears throat> regardless of that, uh, the first thing we'd like to talk about, uh, is his polling numbers, which, uh, a recent poll came out that, mm, you know, it, it's a poll. So uh, take that with what you will, but I believe the number was 56 DeSantis, 33 Trump, which yikes for DeSantis, not even running yet, not even having declared his candidacy. I mean, yeah, that's, that's not a good look for him. Uh, and the and and the and and thinking forward to 2024, I mean, uh, and Michael, I'd like to hear your perspective on this in just a second. But I, I mean, they, they they do have differences in policy. I mean, DeSantis was recently, uh, you know, slamming the COVID vaccine. He, I think, he wants to investigate the COVID vaccine, uh, which I'm sure Trump doesn't like that because he was touting Project Warp Speed. He was he loved Project Warp. Speed. He was really proud of that. So, and that's that's where his his views differ a lot with people on the right. Is that he is, you know, pro-vaccine, which is kind of a, kind of an, I think he's kind of a bit of an anomaly in that, in that sense with a lot of on the far right, <clears throat> not the right uh, as a whole, but on, on the far right. So. Mm-hmm. I think that I also wrote down to critical race theory, you know, yes. don't be gay. Um, the law that uh, made professors disclose their political affiliations and college students, um, trying to um, (laughs) endorsing uh, people in school board races, uh, you know, parental rights. He's done a lot more than Trump on that issue. But I think not to not to be blunt, well, obviously to be blunt, but Bernie Sanders was up uh, 30 points, too, in 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bernie Sanders was the favorite after, you know, um, after Nevada, after New Hampshire, uh, after uh, Iowa, you know. Um, I, I just think it's really hard with, uh, Trump because he, 
you know, our, our favorite professor says this all the time, but you know, in, in your heart, you know, he's right. Even though, even though, and this is, this is what the Republican base thinks about Trump, because even though, you know, mainstream media will say, no, he's awful. And all these, you know, other Republican representatives, and, you know, they might try to do party unity, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the solid, you know, I, I don't like the far right, but the populist right has a much bigger presence in the Republican party than the Democrat party, um, for sure. Um, especially even in some of the, uh, in the RNC, in the workings of that, we just saw Ronna McDaniel was on Stuart Varney and Stuart Varney, the Stuart Varney's on Fox news for anyone who doesn't know, he asked her, you know, what, why were, why did we lose in some of these close midterm races? And she says, Oh, we don't know yet. You know? Uh, and he asked her straight out, you know, was it Trump's fault? And she was like, Oh, I think it's too early. She defended this. <laughs> yes. I, I think it's too early to place blame on why certain candidates did better than others. And she pointed at JD Vance, who that's a crazy person to point to when Tim Ryan did three or four points better than Joe Biden did in that state. We're in the year 2022 when, you know, crime is crazy and not to be hyperbolic, but, you know, inflation is off the charts and 70% of Americans think the country is moving in the wrong direction. And J.D. Vance, you know, won by six points in Ohio when the governor won by 20 points. You know, of course it's Trump. Are you crazy? Are you he's the x factor man he's the yeah he is but the thing is you know at the end of the day i i don't know it's just the never trumpers you know weren't there in 2020 we're about to see if they if they are there in 2024 i don't maybe it's not never trumpers because never trumpers are kind of like oh i never liked them in the first place but people who are like trump was great he did he did good january 6th was a bad spot let's move on i think if those, if that wing of the party unites with the never Trumpers, and if that's enough, you know, that's, that's ultimately the coalition, you know, DeSantis is trying to build, but then, you know, he still, he still has to convert hard Trumpers into, you know, <laughs> I don't know, like, um, people who don't want to be with Trump anymore. And that's ultimately where the conversion is going to lie, but he still has to keep people who are in the center, the political center to the, in the left of the Republican party in line you know, and not, you know, trail off to Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo, you know, the problem that Biden had in 2020 with the Democratic primary. So, you know, I, I don't know, I, I still think it's Trump's to lose. Um, I, I also think Trump, Trump is a fundraising giant compared to Ron DeSantis. Um, Trump has, you know, operatives in all these states. Uh, Trump has the resources. People want to work for Trump. Uh, compared to DeSantis, especially in, you know, the grassroots Republican base, you know, people who do work on those kind of campaigns, you know, they're, they're going to be there for Trump. That was a problem with Biden too. You know, no one was 20, 30% of people in the Democratic Party want Biden right away. Same thing with DeSantis. So the, the whole point is DeSantis is going to have to coalition build to beat Trump. And it's a lot harder than people expect, especially people in the mainstream media who are saying, oh, everyone loves him. Oh, it's great. When you have to go into the debates and actually, you know, debate Trump for Trump, uh, tit for tat 
on all of Trump's policies that he got done, like overturning Roe v. Wade, which is really popular in the Republican Party, uh, you know, it, increasing, you know, police being tough on crime, which I'm sure DeSantis is too. But Trump was in office and he did it. So I, I don't know. I probably went <laughs> a little bit too long there, but I think I think it's Trump's to lose. Oh. Yeah. And when you say Trump's to lose, you're thinking he's not going to win if he runs? No, I'm saying he is going to win. Like, no, I mean win. Oh, 2024 election, totally. Mm. See, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know because I think right now, obviously, as a Democrat, you know, I'm I'm optimistic that the economy will turn around, Ukraine will turn around, and some of these um, research things, which we'll get to, the nuclear fusion. Um, energy prices, you know, heat, um, all that stuff will turn around. And, you know, Biden will have a great victory. I'm, I'm honestly hoping for, you know, Democrats take back control of the House and the Senate. Um, well, actually, they might lose the Senate just because of the map, which is awful for them. But there is another alternative where, you know, the economy doesn't turn around. Um, and people, you know, terminating the Constitution, um, even, you know, even if Trump went a little bit more populist on the economy and said, you know, more like we need to make more stuff in America, more protectionist, less global markets, which I ultimately think is Biden is trying to turn to is trying to make our economy more globalist again and trying to get us back on par with all these other countries in Europe. Uh, but, you know, if if the economy, you know, tanks, um, if we go into another recession, I think Republicans easily win. I think it's. I think DeSantis wins by more, but there's no reason why Trump can't win the Republican primary and then win the election because of you know bad circumstances. So we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll be able to get back to you with a definite answer in uh, January twentieth, twenty twenty-five. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep exactly. keep keep your eye out for that. <clears throat> yeah, we don't know if another insurrection happens. <laughs> uh i mean yeah maybe maybe the democrats will pull it off this time who knows hey, more v harper right <laughs> all right so uh next thing with uh with mr trump here is uh he's launched his own brand of uh trump nfts trump digital trading cards and i wish i would have pulled up the audio clip for that because it's it's really beautiful but uh you can recreate very... it right yeah yeah <laughs> it's in washington it's, better than abe he literally opens it with better than lincoln better than washington it's like wow <laughs> feels like a bit of a and this is my bias speaking feels like a little bit of a caricature here <clears throat> and i think a lot of people uh unanimously feel like this is a little bit weird i mean there were there were some people i saw on social media who were like oh no he's just trolling you guys don't get it he's just troll i think that's a little bit copy I think that he really is just grifting, which is what Trump likes to do is grift and make money. And that's this isn't even related to the campaign. I think it's just a scheme to make more money. Uh, it, I think it's that simple, really. And I think someone told him NFTs can make a lot of money. You should uh, get into that. And yeah. So he did. I mean, there's pictures of him with a Superman suit. There's pictures of him with a, a uh, you know, like astronaut, that sort of thing. Um, I'm, it's, it's very strange because... Uh, and this, and we're going to be talking less about uh, the actual NFT thing itself and rather the impact that could have on him and his campaign. It, it is viewed a little bit as a, as a marketing ploy. It's kind of viewed as weird, cheap kind of 
and uh, in, in my view, I think it's a little bit uh, blatantly too on the nose, like uh, grifting, <laughs> like, uh, um, I don't know. So I, I think we'll see how it goes, but I don't think there's ever been, there's never been another president in history who has launched his own line of trading cards for the low, low price of $99 a piece. Um, yeah. Ooh. So <clears throat> yeah, deal. Yeah, that's a great deal there. Deal. Yeah. Uh, um, Art of the deal. Right. Art of the deal. And also, how did it take him this long to, uh, and I think they were talking about this on on the podcast you mentioned before, uh, but they, they were talking about, uh, he he's like, why did it take so long for him to um, make Trump cards? I mean, the man is 76. Like, that, that's been there for <laughs> that long. And he he's just getting to it now. Um, an NFT. Yeah. I would never buy an NFT because the whole point of having a card is to trade it, right? And to touch it and feel it. I don't know. I yeah. think... I think if Bernie made NFTs, people would be over it because, of course, he, you know, most of his, like, a disproportionate amount of millennials who actually know what an NFT is, like, right. they, I think the average, like, Trump donor, not to say that there isn't millennial and Gen Z supporters, especially for Trump, because he is more, you know, grassroots. I'm sure there is. And I know, I know a couple of the people on Twitter who are sure, I'm sure they're, they're eating this up, but I, I think, you know, the average Trump donor in my mind is like a 50 year old who runs a hotel, you know, and writes them like a nice, you know, $50 check every month. Right. Like who's going to, you know, how is this like changing anything different? Right. It's, it's, it's interesting because I, I, and I don't know how much this appeals to a lot of his base. I mean, from a political standpoint, and, and I know that he's not getting, he's not like transferring these funds to like his campaign or anything. This is a separate thing. Uh, but um, you know, it's his his fan base is probably the majority of them are going to be like, uh, what's a wallet? What's crypto wallet? You know, because they don't really care. No, they, unless you're like a into finance and crypto. Like I don't really get crypto. Right. Yeah. I feel like you have to be into crypto to get crypto. You know, um, and just a lot of people in general just don't really get it. So <clears throat> it's an interesting choice for sure. I'm sure he'll make plenty of money off of it. I think he was like almost sold out already. So that's good for him. I mean, go go MAGA. Um, <laughs> so a uh, huge uh, segue into the next thing. Uh, or do we want to uh, quick talk about uh, the um, January 6th, the text messages? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Martial um, law. law. Yeah. If you guys didn't see that, um, I forget who the representative was, but I think uh, a 40, 42, 44 Republican members of Congress were caught uh, texting Mark Meadows with like conspiring to January 6th or conspiring to, you know, stop the election from happening, the transfer of power. So, um, you know, we had someone who said, you know, this is this is unreal. We need to invoke martial law. But instead of spelling it M-A-R-T-I-A-L, they spelt it M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, like the name Marshall. Um, so i I have the i have the i have the message here yes read Uh, it mark mark in seeing what's happening this is from ralph norman of north of south Mm. carolina mark in seeing what's happening so quickly and reading about the dominion lawsuits that was a that was a time to be alive let me tell you Uh, (laughs) attempting to stop any meaningful investigation we are at a point of no return in saving our republic capital r our last hope all caps is invoking martial law please urge president to do so <laughs> no response from meadows was revealed which i think is kind of funny um 
There was also a representative from Pennsylvania too, who said like, Mark, you need to get down here. The good people of Pennsylvania are trying to stop the secretary of state from certifying this election. And, um, and yeah. And, and just to add this, this text was actually from January 17th. So this was after the Capitol is before Biden's inauguration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they were still, even after January 6th, they were still trying at, oh, I mean, the House was a lot more crazier than the Senate. You had like, the Senate was like, what, Cruz, Holly, and like Cotton. There was like six or seven people that voted for it. The House, it was like a good, I I honestly don't know the vote by name, but I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, she didn't, she didn't have anyone to like co-sign. She didn't have anyone for, I think, a couple of other states that were like clear, but like Pennsylvania, you know, Arizona, they actually held votes on, you know, trying to overturn their election results. And I, I don't know. Hmm, let me, let me see. I think, I don't know, off the top of my head, I want to say, you know, they, they had like 80 votes or something, you know, uh, and a lot of, a lot of those members are being, a lot of those members are going to win again, but actually a lot of those members are being replaced. Um, this is kind of a sidebar, but a lot of the moderate Republicans that are getting kicked out of this Congress. Um, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of moderate Republicans who are come moderate Republicans who are coming into this new Congress who actually beat out uh, far right people who the Democrats tried to prop up and they won handedly over in the state of New York. Um, we, we did a whole episode. I did a whole episode on that, but there will still be a great, you know, moderate faction in the house. So We'll have to see, but the Freedom Caucus will rule the day when we get there. Um, the Freedom Caucus, man. Yeah, the Freedom, the Freedom Caucus, kind of uh, oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go. Uh, I was just gonna transition to the next thing, but if if you had more to add, no, I didn't. No, okay. I just anyways, yeah. All right, so the next thing we're gonna talk about. So this is the sharp left turn I was alluding to earlier, uh, is nuclear fusion. Uh, um, can power a house for decades with a cup of energy. This is a new uh, revolution in science. It's, you know, it could change the economy, big, big league. Uh, it could change a lot about, you know, everything with, with the global economy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big step forward, a great leap forward. Uh, it's, it's not perfected yet. There's still issues, you know, it's broken things, but you know, 10 years from now, who knows? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, um, I read, I read the article in the New York times and, uh, there was, there was actually a prominent scientist from Texas who said that, uh, this, this means absolutely nothing, um, which I disagree with. Um, I do think nuclear is better than solar and wind and, um, just to elaborate on that, um, you know, the, the, the output of energy we need to make solar energy and to make wind energy, um, the amount of coal we need to burn, and <laughs> it's just, it's not as green as we think it is. The amount of uh, natural gases we need to burn as well, uh, it's just, it's not, it's really not... It's gonna take it's gonna take another 20, 30 years to make this as big scale as we want it to, but it's also gonna take 20, 30 years to make those as big scale as we 
wanted to. And the thing too about nuclear energy compared to solar and green energy is that uh, we talked about this last episode, um, weird enough, but vertical integration. Um, this is this is a chance um, to add perspective for someone who, like me, is a more social democrat, even socialist in some aspects of the government being able to own every step of energy production from, you know, making the fusion happen to distributing it to uh, getting getting markets out of it to getting the middleman out of it. This this is why I'm also excited about climate change as someone on the left, because this is a chance, you know, to prove that the government can officially and efficiently, you know, create an energy source, you know, dole it out, cut out the middleman, uh, something, something kind of like a Medicare for all, but for in an energy sense, you know, be able to, you know, save hundreds of dollars a month for families to power these, to power their houses, to power their cars. Um, I think it's a great, God, I was just going to say it too, a great, a great leap forward. Um, and that's kind of weird to use that term because, you know, Mao and, you know, all the, all the, you know, commun communist atrocities, but in a, in a, um, also too, in a capitalist sense to have the government own it away from business and away from predatory lenders, away from markets, you know, that can sometimes, you know, reward the richer person instead of the person who doesn't have as much money. This, this is a great step forward. So, yeah. And I just wanted to say that I think nuclear is, is better than green um, and it's better than solar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously at all sorts of renewable energy are definitely the way to go i mean i'm definitely still all for <clears throat> solar wind you know whenever you can slowly transitioning to those sorts of renewable energies because uh they, a they are renewable and b they are not as bad for the environment nearly um and well you know uh they are still you know you know it would like electric cars are still being powered by the electric grid but i don't want to start arguing with myself here so. i mean and nuclear too i mean you have one mistake and you know the plant blows <laughs> you know right we're talking about you know hundreds of thousands of tons instantly like that that just shoot straight yep. up in the atmosphere so, so but i also wanted to add really quickly france um France is actually distributing energy all across the EU and into Britain uh, with their nuclear plants. And they actually, studies have shown they make $4 billion a year um, off of, you know, having these nuclear plants and distributing um, energy. They're, they're major exporters in nuclear energy. So imagine, you know, we, with the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, we invested, you know, $400 billion into new climate projects. Uh, imagine, you know, France, you know, 4 billion times 10, that's 40 billion. But again, our, our scale compared to France is probably like 10 times more. So if you took our economy, you know, compared it to France, you know, if we'd 400 billion times 10, you know, that's do the math. Um, I'm sure. What, what would that be? Would that be, would that 400 just be billion times 10? Yeah. Would that just that's be 4 billion? trillion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah then see it it already would pay itself off 20 to 30 years down the line and that's also the argument for medicare for all too the thing is you know to steal mana is you know that's if everything happens perfectly as we expect it to so again it's a, it's a tricky business but um, if you're like me and alex you know and we think that you know climate change is a problem um 
it's something worth looking into. So. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Well, this will be something we're all going to see develop as we go along. And it may not be at a state of total, um, you know, uh, usability now, but I'm sure we'll see a lot of developments going forward. And hopefully that'll be another step for us towards, uh, you know, fighting climate change and trying to keep the global temperature rise, you know, as minimal as we possibly can at this point. Yeah. And trying to cut costs for families too. That's what, that's what Biden has to run on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if Biden doesn't win 24, he can always run again in 28. So that's true. Yeah. He can pull a Trump. Yeah. I mean, Rover Cleveland. Yeah. Let's go. All right. So, <laughs> go, Brandon. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> let's go, Brandon. I agree. All right. Um, next thing <clears throat> Ukraine uh, um, moved to peace talks with the G7 in the European Union after a strike leaves million heat and foodless. Yeah. So um this kind of was a development over the past week, but uh Zelensky actually um was reached out to by Richie Sunak and uh Emmanuel Macron. Uh they they told him, you know, to try to reach to try to, you know, talk about, you know, what peace negotiations would look like, you know, what the new maps would look like. Um what Ukraine would get out of this, what Russia would get out of this. Um, I don't know. We're in a tough spot because they they could... The thing is, you know, who... Do we even want to see who falls first, whether it's Russia or whether it's Ukraine? Do we even want to get to that point? Um, it's really hard for us as Americans to know the intelligence and what is happening over there. Um, for example, look at Iraq, uh, look at Iran, you know, we thought, you know, we were going in there for weapons of mass destruction and, you know, we were going to, you know, be able to solve, you know, all the economic problems of those people and we flat out just weren't able to. Um, so, again, we don't know with the Kremlin. Uh, we can only look at certain instances to see that people are rising up, to see that less people are enrolling in the military, to see that people are fleeing Russia. We also know for a fact, too, and also the EU has looked into this immensely, that if if war keeps happening, if Russians keep striking, millions of people will be without heat or food this winter and will die, you know, barbaric, you know, 16th century deaths of not having heat and food, you know, in a globalized right. country when the G7 could just say, stop this, you know, we want peace, end it. Like, so it's really, I mean, both of these more Ukraine than Russia is really at the hands of, you know, global players, you know, if we try to, you know, fight this proxy war and make, make a move bigger than Ukraine, but at the end of the day, there's real consequences. And I think we need to make sure that that's certain. And I think G7 leaders know that, but <laughs> they also hate Russia that much that they're willing to, you know, risk this in Ukraine. So. Right. And to, to bring a, a morbid spin on this i mean two things first of all if you know they don't have heat for the winter uh they blame russia they're like you know what russia cut off the gas pipeline look at how barbaric they are look at this horrible thing they've let happen there's that angle and then there's the angle that maybe this is russia's bargaining chip right i mean all these european nations are have made themselves so dependent on russia for this for for energy that now they're like scrambling they're like okay we got to get you know another 
another energy source and it's going to be tough it's going to be tough so and i think russia knows that and i think putin knows that and he knows that uh that's his that's his you know big uh his big big uh trump card uh right here is that i think go ahead oh i think i think the people of ukraine um you know they're more split than we like to think when it comes to you know being you know in the eu or rejoining with russia again and being you know a satellite state of not that you know russia is really communist by any means but uh you know you know taking taking their oil taking their funding um some ukrainians you know lie more conservative um say there was a you know there was a kremlin ad that released like a couple of weeks ago that was like there's no gay marriage in Russia and everyone is straight and we have big families and we're a God loving nation and stuff like that. That's, that's some, you know, it's kind of split 50, 50, um, you know, we, we honestly like don't know for sure, but I would like to speculate that I, that I think it's closer than some people in the mainstream media would like to say besides, you know, just like, we want, you know, save Ukraine, you know, make them a capitalist country, you know, make them part of the modern world. I, th- I think it's much more split than the media is giving them um, um, credit for. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's really tumultuous. But, yeah, so, look, I don't know. <laughs> we just want to inform you guys. Um it's a lot harder than anyone uh, claims to know it is. So, right, and and I always keep in mind, uh, you know, when you're listening to the mainstream media, you know, whether that be NBC, CNN, Fox News, there's more bias at play than what's on the surface, mm-hmm. uh, and there's more storytelling being spun than what meets the eye. And by that, I mean, uh, there's more than just you know them being like this Republican's crazy. The way they spin the story is to benefit a way that's going to get their viewers engaged and get more people engaged. And it's not always the, um, the complete story. And I mean, we're both on the left, but we both, I think Michael and I can both acknowledge that a lot of, uh, especially major left-wing media outlets tend to, you know, spin things in a way that's it's, you know, it's, it's still something you got to kind of look past when you're listening to the news. Yeah. I think to another thing, the Mark, the mark of a great person is not, you know, being right all the time. And mm-hmm. it's more, you know, admitting your flaws. And it's also to um, acknowledging that, you know, everyone could be right instead of just you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there could be six, there could be six theories that are right about our economy instead of just one. So that's why I just try to frame stuff differently. Cause I do think Sometimes, you know, we are in the business of storytelling and trying to bring, you know, hope and light into people's life and also trying to entertain too. But, you know, I just don't want to, you know, create animosity or, you know, distort facts or I just want to, you know, create a fuller picture, you know. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you mind if I take this one? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we... We've been talking about on this podcast a lot, um, something that even, you know, the mainstream media has been kind of, you know, obsessed with is, you know, the appointment of Lena Khan. Uh, She's been a really, you know, um, out there voice when it comes to uh, enforcing antitrust laws and even going bigger than the current antitrust laws. Um, 
Harvard graduate. Uh, she's written a lot extensively, uh, stuff that I haven't read because, you know, it's policy stuff. It's in the weeds. But, you know, other people that are much smarter than me have read and have, you know, deciphered that, you know, she is antitrust at, at all costs. Um, she did not take in anyone's BS. Um, so a major development that happened this weekend was Microsoft was trying to buy Activision. Um, so Microsoft, you know, owns Xbox, um, has, has a lot of uh, market share in the gaming industry. Um, I think, you know, they own, they own a console system. I actually don't know here. Let me, let me see real quick. But uh, anyways, um, so, yeah, Microsoft owns Xbox. Yes. And um, so Microsoft currently holds a market share of 20% in the console industry, uh, which is not bad. But um, actually, you know, Microsoft's gaming share was 6.5%, which is not bad. But Activision is one of the biggest um, game game makers. Um, they make uh, Call of Duty. What else? What else does Activision make? Oh my God, I'm looking so bad right now. Um, they also own uh, Call of Duty, uh, Candy Crush, Crash, Crash Bandicoot, Bandicoot, yeah, Diablo, um, DJ Hero. There's, you know, there's major, you know, major amounts of money. Um, so I mean, it is it is a sixty billion dollar company that's you know trying to get you know added on by Microsoft, but um, Lita Khan, you know, is uh, suing and stopping the merger. Um, they tried They tried to uh, take a middle road here. Uh, Microsoft said that Activision could keep Call of Duty for 10 years, um, but <laughs> she, she's not budging. And I actually read a Bloomberg article before this, and um, it, people are kind of upset by uh, Lena Khan and how she's kind of bucking, you know, the bipartisan consensus when it comes to antitrust and uh some some people who um are quite frankly comfortable with amazon never being looked at or google never being looked at um she's you know she's kind of that's the weirdest thing with biden is biden you know is seen as one of the most establishment candidates and presidents and uh he appointed someone like lena khan who's you know going to washington and who has been quite frankly on the record, you know, says someone who would break up um, some of these businesses, someone that, you know, even Bernie could have appointed easily, um, you know, oh, openly, you know, if you're someone who's, you know, not a Democrat and you're seeing like a, a Bernie person, you know, in, in his cabinet, in, in the bureaucracy appointed there, um, the, the chief of the FTC, um, <laughs> you're like, um, this is weird. Uh, this is not who I voted for. But they're the the kind of you know breakups that we were advocating for in the last episode. Um, this is a really great sign of that. Um, I don't know, Alex, if you wanted to say anything else about you know should we let them merge? Does Microsoft have more resources that could make the game better? You know, more capital, um, or should you know is this competition rule the day and is that better? I mean, look, yeah, if, if Microsoft bought Activision, they could totally make better games. Are you kidding me? Like, the, the capital Microsoft has access to, they could, yeah. But uh, from a business standpoint, I don't think a merger of this scale would be positive. Um, for the, uh, I mean, for the economy, for, uh, you know, ec economics as a whole, and also gaming, I mean, 
if a lot of these big games uh that the activision makes I'm, I'm gonna get a little bit into my my gamer stuff here so forgive oh, me, me too i'm i'm ready after uh, you're done i'm uh, ready so like call of duty like crash bandicoot these games they're also on other consoles you know they're on pc uh playstation some of them run switch and i would be willing to buy and i can't say for sure but if microsoft got access to the activision uh, and and they would start to kind of be like, okay, this is an Xbox exclusive. This is going to be, you're going to have extra perks for having this on Xbox, right? And then it becomes a Xbox monopoly uh, on, on the gaming console, which the, I mean, the gaming scene already, console gaming is kind of a, a, a triopoly. I don't know if that's a word. I mean, you got Nintendo, Sony, and uh, Microsoft are like the big three, yeah. like, like game. Alienware, uh, I guess. Features. What's that? Alienware. Google I mean, Cloud, PC, PC. I think PC is a whole separate realm okay. of console gaming. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I think that if Microsoft acquired Activision, they they definitely make better games and have more money to make better games. But I think that from a, 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 a you know a, a economic standpoint and an antitrust standpoint, uh, I just don't think I'd be all for that. And I I hope that the FTC can kind of put a wedge in it. See, okay, I disagree because, look, uh, from an economic standpoint, it would make sense that there'd be more capital so they make better video games. Uh, but when when you look at gaming, oh my God, this is like that. Put on put on my gamer hat. Uh, when you put on, you know, um, for example, Nintendo. Oh my God, I mean, the new Mario games compared to you know, or I'm not really as expertise in Nintendo, but for sports games um as some people know ea um they you know they bought out the vice they bought out the rights to the licensing for all the nfl teams so they have an effective monopoly on the nfl game every year and you go back and you play a game from 2005 and sure the graphics aren't as good or you know mm, not even see because you know this is a more technical thing when it comes to gaming but some of the sports games have become more animations based than physics based but the the features when it comes to the career mode when it comes to you know team when it comes to you know you can make your own team uh, modes like that you know some of the special abilities some of the you know being able to set prices on the stadium stuff like that little perks uh there's been there's been you know youtubers who've done great work on this you know there's lists and lists of stuff that just keeps getting kicked out of the game every year mostly because they have to move to a new platform every five years give them the benefit of the doubt on that but you know, they don't have any competition back in 2005 when 2K was also making an NFL game along with EA and along with some other third party companies, too. It's just it's the games keep getting worse and worse. And it's also another thing too. the incentive of the monopoly led to um, microtransactions, um, monetizing the game within itself. Um this is this is ultimately the problem too with apps you know you buy like candy crush you buy what's that one with the the little green guy you like get the candies um you know stuff games like that you know? yes yes that <laughs> game that it's like you know they don't have any other competition so they they are able to monetize their own game and make even more profits off it it's like a stock buyback for gaming it's insane they get away with that. Anyways, I I think 
I think video games, hell yes, media in general, this is where they definitely need to be breaking up companies because there's just so many cases of malpractice. Um, I could I could go on for hours, but <laughs> well, I just like to I kind of kind of refute and add in that I, I agree with you that uh, we should not have giant monopolies. And and obviously I agree with your point that games get worse when you've got a monopoly on what you're doing. Another thing I'd bring up is the Pokemon franchise, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the games have been setting the bar higher and higher the past, like they have them every three years. Uh, and they've just, the recent one that came out is very buggy textures, like loading in and out. I'm personally having a great time with it, but from a technical standpoint, they could have done way better. And it's because only Nintendo has access to uh, Pokemon. And this is not a good example because that's a Pokemon is a, is a franchise. But I think that if Microsoft acquired Call of Duty, um, I don't know. I think Call of Duty is not as much of a monopoly because there's a lot of uh, first person shooter type yeah. games. Uh, whereas like Pokemon and like, especially with like with sports games, like football. And I mean, you've only really got one NFL. You've only really got one uh you know uh, um, uh like basketball like thing right like i think that it's a little bit different when you've got like a, a lot of different variety in that sort of realm um but but yeah i think in in conclusion i think we both think that uh, especially in media spaces and and with gaming as a whole i mean uh less monopolization is is a positive for sure yeah i mean it's on a it's on a case by case it's on the merit basis like that's Ultimately, at the, the end of the day, you know, you don't want to use a, a what is a hammer on a screw, you know, or everything, yeah. everything looks like a nail when you have a hammer. Um, so that's kind of, that's, that's a really good point there is that, you know, the companies that are succeeding and are making more content should, should be regulated by government compared to those that are breaking the rules and are adding microtransactions, which, Dude, I don't know about you, but I already paid $60 for the game. There's no reason I should have to pay $30 more to unlock a mode on a game that I already spent you know, $60. Well, well, listen, this is my take, is that I think that uh, post-release DLC that adds to the game, such as like a story mode or such as like a, uh, a new character pack or something, I think that's reasonable. But if you release a game that's unfinished and you're like, okay, uh, we're going to finish it in two years, but you just paid $60 for a piece of shit that doesn't have a story mode. I mean, game developers have started doing that because they get away with it. Um, mm. And that's just frustrating as a, as a consumer myself. And I think that, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it's, it is, it's, it's a negative and, and microtransactions, especially, I mean, literal gambling that totally needs to be regulated. You have like eight yeah. or nine year olds using their parents, uh parents credit cards going on csgo gambling on like 400 real usd like weapons and stuff and it's like i mean and 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 like loot loot crates that sort of thing you get a gambling addiction nice and quick and that's going to follow you for the rest of your life because you want to play a video game so i think there needs to be more government regulation there and i think that loot crates and uh, microtransactions are uh, bad news bears yeah i also don't want to pay more money for stuff so that's part of it <laughs> yeah that's yeah uh, okay we're a little biased but i think i think too to also tie it back to the larger discussion we had on antitrust which if you didn't check that out um i think this conversation is ultimately different from 
um, video games and Amazon, which is like sometimes, you know, more essential stuff uh, compared to video games. I think media is much different than sometimes like groceries or market share, uh, for example, for market shares or even like oil or more essential stuff where it's like, no, we can, we can afford to, you know, take a hit here for, you know, hopefully the fruition of, you know, better video games, you know, two or three years from now compared to trying to break up Amazon when it's so vital in so many people's lives. I, it's just, it's a really interesting point you raised. Um, so yeah, I think, I think sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Those... I, Amazon is more of a, for some people a necessity and games are more of a commodity. So there is, there's much, much more of a, a contrast there in the, in the, in the timeliness and the urgency of breaking that sort of thing up. I mean, if you don't break up a gaming acquisition, sure, that's a monopoly, but it's not going to be a, a really huge issue on the global scale. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, especially because Nintendo uh, and, uh, you know, uh, other gaming uh, manufacturers don't have $3.71 trillion dollar uh you know uh, values like amazon does um, yeah but yeah so that's it's crazy stuff yeah so switch we got our we got our antitrust out of it i don't think we'll ever stop talking about antitrust until like it's five always in the news so yeah bear bear with us on that but uh we also want to touch on um the these uh junior um oh my god rotc I, I don't even know what that stands for. Oh, my God. It's but these, basically military recruitments. Yeah, officer classes. and training class or, yeah. But these these classes that have um, the government, you know, uh, lets, lets these classes uh, be taught in some school districts. Uh, school districts can opt in to teaching these classes. Uh, personally, I've never, my school never adopted this. Um, I don't know whether that's a political thing or not. Um, but actually the New York times wrote a really good article on this, that, um, um, the schools were actually trying to mandate some of these classes and, um, they actually did some research and they found that, um, schools in poor districts, actually the classes became more mandatory and, uh, those, those districts tended to be more Latino, more black, uh, on average. So, um, Look, if if there's a, I I don't know why there would be a military shortage, you know, because um, the main perk of you know going to the military in the first place, especially out of college, is now more than ever you need that college degree, and if you serve in the military for you know a two or three years, something like that, you know, you get you get to go to college free pretty much for the most part. Um, so. I mean, this is coming off the heels of the defense bill that just passed, you know, $858 billion, you know, um, increased the budget, uh, $45, $45 billion over the president's uh, request. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm. It's not like I'm against people going into the military. Um, I think it's, um, we definitely need, you know, fighters and people who, are more educated when it comes to uh, counterterrorism, intelligence, um, you know, command strategies, um, more war stuff. You know, I 
I would love to see people take take up more education in that just just as we research you know green energy and stuff like that and more climate change stuff I would love people to research you know better ways to reduce casualties in war or more drone wars or you know stuff like that you know we can my my whole feeling on this you know whether you're you know want to reduce the military or increase spending for the military is you can never be too cautious when it comes to developing um military armaments or you know funding the military um was an extra 45 billion too much yes uh does the pentagon need to be audited yes uh there was also another article the pentagon failed its failed its audit again this year um five years in a row um go figure um look that they need to stop failing audits um there's this joke my dad always used to tell you know they and at the pentagon they round up by the billion uh, <laughs> instead <laughs> of the billion um it's crazy but um you know that that needs that needs to be curtailed um obviously we need to get the irs on the pentagon's asses right now um 87,000 new irs agents the better head yes. right down to right on down to virginia man gun carrying irs agents <laughs> i agree let's go yeah but so. uh, what do you have do you have any take on this alex do you think i i think it is a little predatory in nature uh to have these people coming and you know I do think the whole like military recruiting thing, look, it's a little, it's a little predatory on its face. Um, these are like 15, 16 year old kids that don't know what to do with their life. Um, I, I don't think it's, you know, I mean, they're always getting stuff thrown at them. I mean, some, some of it's always a little bit predatory, but you know, this whole, like the government um, coming in and like trying to recruit people. I don't know. What do you yeah, think? Well, look, uh, I mean, even, you know, the whole sign up for college, go to college, that's the only way to succeed thing is also something pushed on these 15, 16 year olds who don't understand what they're getting into. Uh, but I think the military is different. Um, not just with this, but there's a lot of other situations where the military is uh, recruiting. I mean, just today, I got an ad on Twitter that uh, looks like a call of duty ad. And in fact, I thought it was and it was in fact, USMC recruiting verified account. And that's, I mean, the military produces, the army produces the ads that look like video game trailers. And that is not an accident. That is not a coincidence. That is because they know that's the sort of thing that's going to attract a uh, young, uh, probably, presumably, you know, young uh, uh, teenage males who are not sure what they're going to do with their life. <clears throat> and I think it is predatory. I think that that's that the, uh, the uh, JROTC, which is a uh, uh, junior reserve officers training corps um mm -hmm. you know those classes are they might have good intentions but i don't think that uh, um you know that, that, that i think they are a little bit predatory um yeah oh i but, was gonna also the new york times said some of these classes were um having inaccurate tellings of history or just not 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 being uh, factually correct dude, this uh, when, is, it came, when it came to like parts about slavery, parts about, you know, um, segregation, uh, Jim Crow era, the, even the military was fudging the numbers on that too. Well, look, um, I'm 90% sure in my primary education, I was taught the United States found Hawaii. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. So like, I wouldn't be surprised. 
Uh, I mean, you know, revisionist history is kind of our thing because the victors write history. And I know for me personally, when I went into college and when I started researching things on my own and listening to like podcasts, that sort of thing, I found out a lot about United States history. They don't teach you in school, especially American school. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, the, the recruiting, I mean, I had, I never had JROTC in my school, but we did have, we'd have a sergeant come from the army and we'd have to do like military exercises and we'd uh it was it was kind of strange and they kind of hand out pamphlets or something i don't remember i was in uh you know elementary school <clears throat> but yeah. you know in conclusion i mean you know jrotc it's kind of predatory the army military does do predatory things to try and get people involved in the military but at the end of the day we got a good military and like you said we can never be too cautious with the military so you know there's there's two sides to that argument i'm not sure which side i fall under yeah well look i think one of our future episodes has to be on history um that's <laughs> that's something i think we can both agree on is the history um is a little crazy um i mean look we're not gonna both sides slavery okay that's just not Oh, I, I was by no means. That's sorry. not, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not beneficial to anyone. Like some of these textbooks, specifically out of Texas, specifically out of Southern states that say, you know, it was a war of, you know, they use those lines, war of Northern aggression and kind of like the, the SJWs of today, you know, that have like gone too far. Um, I do think, I do think there's, there's a slight difference between the SJWs of today and um, the, um, the anti-slavery foundation. Right. And Abraham Lincoln. And a, a, yeah. A stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, I think, I think Abraham Lincoln and, you know, some, 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 you know, some of that, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. Oh, they're not the exact same. Um, but um, I, I don't know. I think I, I don't buy into this narrative, you know, that, you know, colonization and, and it was an inherent evil and, you know, the white race, like deliberately destroyed like the native americans and we have to repay these debts and we we owe all this stuff to them like look we fought we fought wars there there were agreements on both sides um look americans committed war crimes you know french people committed war crimes indians or native americans committed war crimes too i'm sure i'm sure it was brutal warfare i'm sure you know the the traditional rules of the Geneva Conference was broken, but I think the quicker we can kind of, you know, say there were some bad parts, let's talk about them objectively. Let's make sure, you know, that, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Uh, war in general, <laughs> I would love for that to stop happening. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, I think, I think we, we just need, um, less less kind of you know jawing and each other's mouths and just more discussion about the facts and it's okay to be wrong too um i don't like the word like educating people for, per se because i kind of think it's almost like preaching or like someone has the right side of this issue but i think it's more just like you know telling your side of the story letting someone else tell their side of the story and then, you know trying to find the points you agree on and then also trying to convince them of some points that you agree on more than some of their points. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with history. Um, 
there's 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 no doubt in my mind though that especially some more right-wing elements of the country have kind of fudged our history um for worse so well look fox news had on uh that james madison was the third president so that's an instance of that but um you know all jokes aside yeah uh, (laughs) i think we all and i mean everybody uh, citizens us included tend to kind of at least for a certain period of time kind of look back on american history with this golden you know rose-colored glasses of oh we were you know we were saviors we built up this country we did all this stuff but there is a lot of uh dark undercurrents to all of it that i think are sometimes swept under the rug because uh for better for worse we don't want to accept or face them and i think that us all uh, you know, having a discussion and an objective discussion and saying things without a agenda or a <clears throat> a point of view, uh, you know, just being like, you know, this happened, you know, like, like you said, I think that that'd be that'd be a, a, a great thing, a wonderful thing for this country. Yeah, wonderful. Legal discrimination um, is not cool. Um, no matter which way you slice it, um, whether it's black, whether it's, you know, against religion, whether it's you know against sexual sexual orientation, I think that's something we can all agree on, um, and it should be agreed upon in American political discourse. Um, I don't think that's controversial, but we are going to get into um, last time our freedom of speech, uh, Germany um, versus the U.S. We just wanted to dive into this a little bit more at the end of this episode because of um, just to paint over it again, um, you know. Germany had a um, far-right extremist, you know, try to, uh, the plot was thwarted, but, you know, they had 3,000 cops mobilized, 40 people were arrested, uh, but the numbers actually out of uh, Germany are pretty frightening. Um, some even worse numbers than America, you know, we have the famous, you know, people who thought the a majority of Republicans thought the election was stolen still um, today, you know, people love to trot that number around. But anyone who like doesn't really know the history of Germany that well, um, you know, we had the Berlin Wall, you know, came down in the in the 1980s, um, and people kind of thought, you know, that was, you know, we're going to integrate East Germany back and do, you know, capitalist uh, and already thriving German economy from a constitution we as Americans wrote. Um, but there's still there. There was, I think, one of the polls that the German government conducted was that you know, 28 percent of people didn't didn't um, twenty eight percent of people in the East thought Germany was unified, and it was even less among younger people. That's that's an alarming statistic. Um, there was even someone interviewed in the New York Times that was a cash red, cashier. They interviewed her and asked her what she thought about the coup. And she said something is going to have to happen sooner or later. Um, so I think the economic disparities in Germany are really vast. Um, I think um, you could even make the case, you know, in some of these capitalist countries, you know, there's there's always going to be a permanent underclass. Um, it's it's ripe for political violence, for uprisings, for revolutions, for coups. Um, so I think kind of, you know, addressing those terms, those facts. Um, we both want to talk about freedom of speech laws, you know, how they're different in Germany and how they're different in the US. Um, so Alex, if you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of 
Germany's laws versus U.S. laws, like, you know, Germany has more government funded media compared to U.S., uh, different election laws, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, well, in Germany, there's much harsher punishments for what we would classify as hate speech or, you know, like far right, like like Nazi speech, basically, um, which like, I mean, you, you could you get serious trouble for being like, uh, you know, I liked Hitler, that sort of thing. Uh, or uh, even but, any racist or even like misogynistic too even it said in the article i was reading anything but they have the right to go into your home and take your tablet and your laptop but <laughs> that's crazy that's yeah a lot different than america uh, i mean for better or worse. i shouldn't say crazy it's just different than what we have here right um, different yeah i mean we we you know you can pretty much say whatever you want and as long as it's not a serious uh, legitimate threat against somebody i mean you're probably not going to face consequences for it to be to be completely frank even then still like the i FC- mean people were were pla- i'm sorry to interrupt but people were like oh, planning right. january 6th and the, the <laughs> fbi had tons of tips and they were just like eh, well yeah. <laughs> you know and then it happened they're like oh, well should have done something about it Red flag laws, I mean, over and over again, people go on Instagram with the Uvalde, was it the Uvalde shooter? Did he post on Instagram? Like he got his new gun and he, his girlfriend like broke his heart or something. And he was like posting on Instagram about like, I'm going into school tomorrow and like shooting up nothing, you know? And that's, okay, that's Texas for you right there. Um, this, this is kind of, we talked a lot about this with David when we had him on the podcast, but uh, we, these stricter gun laws, um, stricter freedom of speech laws too, which uh, they're stronger in Germany, they're stronger in France and Britain too, um, other countries that we see as, you know, equals or competitors. Um, look, they just, they just have less gun deaths when it comes to the gun laws. Um, I'll stop talking about the gun laws. But they 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 have they have they have higher turnout rates in their elections, which plays right into free speech and Citizens United and campaign laws. Uh, they have higher government media. Like I think the stat here is like fifty percent of Americans under the age of twenty six get all their news from social media. Um, that's just look. The news on social media is not going to be as great as going to the New York Times or going to the Wall Street Journal, or going to even Fox News, or going to even MSNBC. So I'm, I don't, I'm also to, could you imagine if this plot succeeded in Germany? We were that close. Um, we were that close on January 6th. If you guys have watched the footage from the hearings, seconds, minute, a minute, minute or two away from the rioters getting into the same chamber that all the senators were in. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. Officer, the uh, officer Goodman who led rioters away. Mm. If he hadn't been there, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there could have been serious. We could have a hostage situation, yeah. and maybe they wouldn't have shown it on TV. But in the age of like Twitter and Instagram, where we've seen videos of school shootings, we've seen videos of you know, January 6th, people breaking through the glass and the windows and stuff like that. Um, I'm, look, I'm, 
Amazon, Twitter, and Facebook, you know, they have, they have all your personal data. They probably have more data than the government. And that's kind of crazy, but shouldn't, shouldn't the government have some access to that? I know, I know that might be crazy for some of our American listeners, like Alex said, but if, if we had the chance to thwart, you know, some of these school shootings, some of these terrorist attacks, I mean, to give up some of your privacy to save, you know, people's lives, maybe that's a little, you know, hyperbolic or maybe it's a little too, you know, yeah, um, dramatic, but I, I just think it's worth it at the end of the day. And I think, you know, the argument you'll get is like the standard, like ideal, ideological, you know, talking point that like we're Americans, we're more free than those countries. But I think with social media, it's changed so much that, you know, freedom of speech, you know, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to, you know, shout fire in a crowded theater. People are doing that on Twitter, you know, 24 seven um, in a crowded theater in the most populous, you know, social media arenas. Um, speech should absolutely be monitored on those platforms. Um, I'd, I don't know about, you know, confiscating people's tablets or phones or, you know, daily police checkups, but we should at least be, you know, tracking their whereabouts, you know, tracking their firearms purchases stuff like that i mean at least like the bare minimum of free speech enforcement i don't know what do you think well if i was to play devil's advocate here (laughs) i would say that that's a gross infringement on personal liberties yeah and that's the argument i'd say 50 60 percent of americans would throw right back at you yeah and that's the same argument they made in citizens united too is that you know free speech is free speech um government doesn't have the right of curtailing people's speech which i used to think that way a month ago um i i don't anymore um i do i do think it is it is different um i i just think social media has completely changed the way and not to mention to, you know, I'm more skeptical, you know, of the rich, you know, being, being on the left. Most of these people who are in favor of Citizens United, who are in favor of more free speech, are disproportionately more wealthy, have more platforms to say stuff on, do have more access. Um, so I, and I also think we talked about this earlier in the episode, the government, you know, being able to elect representatives who can then hold your speech accountable on these platforms is much better at the end of the day than Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey, you know, people who have no accountability at all besides the Twitter board of executives. Do they honestly care about what me and you think compared to a representative? Um, You know, some people would say cynically, there's no difference. And, you know, sometimes I might be inclined to agree, but, you know, the, the, the power of the ballot, you know, is much, is much more preferable than the power of your dollars. When (laughs) you have like one, one, one millionth of their wealth. So I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of want to know what you think about it more. I, I, maybe I'm a little bit less, you know, like devil's advocate because I've done that before and I, I know the arguments and I know our listeners know the arguments. Right. It's kind of just like, uh, you know, sharing our perspective and why we think, you know, people in Europe 
have it have it more right on this issue than we do here well you know i mean i I, i'd have to reiterate what i what i spoke on last time um but i think that the government i mean we didn't we didn't touch as much on social media but i think that the government should have more of a and and social media as a whole should have more of a a a a regulation on the things that are said and hate speech especially because um you know uh, hate speech in my opinion this is my opinion is that hate speech while it doesn't directly hurt others it's you know it's creating a cycle it's creating an echo chamber for other people who are, are do think that way or are prone to think that way or might start to think that way and it creates more and more people so if you're saying something hateful you are going to attract more people who are maybe they're having a bad day maybe they're just feeling angry at the world they're going to start falling right into the same thing that you're saying and i think that especially with twitter now that it's like a literal free-for-all i mean you're going to get more likely to get banned for uh doxing someone than for you know uh you know maybe that's a bad example but it's not likely you're going to get banned for like you know uh you know spewing some sort of hateful rhetoric because i mean elon musk wants it to be the town square of social media but you know does the town square uh, you picture a physical town square right you've got your you've got your art fans you've got your movie critics and you've got your neo-nazis uh right like like imagine that like the town square has never been this big before the town no square one has, no one has ever had this much power when it comes to speech besides the president like besides government officials no one's had this big of a platform before before this is just a more even originalist argument before before mainstream media before mass media before the telephone uh you can keep going back and back but if we think about what was the founder's intent you know when they said freedom of speech what would what would you think it'd be what protesting against government right taxation without representation that's why it's like to petition the government too is also in the in the first speech article and also to protect against religious violence i think it should be now to protect against racial violence too there's no reason why not to protect against you know homophobia to protect against you know certain types those violence that are just the same and that's where i think we need to come together as americans and say okay we need to we need to end legal discrimination not only not only through legislation but we also there just there just needs we just need to have this agreement that other countries have had in canada in um in in these other european countries that you know it's just not right to be saying some of the stuff that they're allowed to say and i know it's not right and it's the government and oh oh the government oh we're gonna yeah we're gonna steal straw man it you know open it up and i'm sure you know people will get stuck in their ideological holes it's you know it's a it's the same thing joe biden said when he was signing the respect for marriage act this weekend you know free free from government you know choosing what to tell you about your marriage and you know i think it's the same thing with free speech you know free free from the harassment of individuals who don't who who should not who should not be inciting violence in the public square yeah well i yeah i think that there's it's tough because there are people who are like legitimately 
they think that it's against their I, I shouldn't say they think they they the religion they believe in is mm -hmm. uh says they interpret it as um you know uh you know uh gay marriage is immoral for example right but i am one to bring this argument up i bring this up with abortion um just because it's your opinion doesn't mean you need to imprint it upon others does not mean you need to legislate it i think okay. that there are plenty plenty of people who i think it'd be perfectly fine if they thought that you know you shouldn't do abortions but they do not need to stop other people who want to have an abortion you're not being forced to have an abortion if you if you are if you're like pro-choice um and 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 just like with gay marriage you're not being forced to uh marry somebody of the same sex because it's legal in your state it's uh, it's not something being imprisoned upon you and that's something that i see over and over with like uh you know with certain people is that that their their view on uh the lgbtq community in particular is that they're 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 printing their agenda upon you or something and, and no i mean they these people firmly just want to exist in the way that they want to and that they feel that they should and they have they, they don't have any agenda they're not trying to indoctrinate your children they literally just want to live they just want to exist and i and think that as americans we deserve to give them the liberty and the ability to do that without you know discrimination without constantly reminding them who they are and telling them why they we think it's wrong yeah my I mean, no you're you're totally look i agree but i think there's also like you said 50 60 percent of people that don't agree on our position on free speech it's really unpopular in america that's why i think i this is why i think um it's kind of like um we've been talking about, you know, keeping, keeping America together, you know, for 20, 30 years, I've kind of, I've been focused on that a little bit um, currently as I've been, you know, studying politics and doing all that kind of, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm more comfortable with my, you know, with my ideology, but kind of thinking about how, you know, in, in states, like there's really only like five or 10 swing states in America. Really, there's only five true swing states in America. You either live in a blue state or you live in a red state. Um, that just wasn't the case um, for most of our history. So um, it's just, um, I think at the end of the day, as we become even more polarized on some of these social issues and some of that stuff, um, I think, you know, these freedom, the, the hate speech laws, if we, if we tried to do that all across America, you know, it just, it just wouldn't work. Um, I, I think it would, you know, destroy America and destroy our, our country, which we don't want. Um, and we can always go into depth about that. Um, I'm a firm believer of keeping America together. Um, we definitely don't want America to split apart. Um, not only because you know i believe that we should we should try to do things through federalism um federalism also does have a strong government at the top too federally but when it comes to players like china like russia we we are holding up all these other you know european countries with nato with um with um with with the united nations um we are a big global player and look, 
if if the certain gun law that you like doesn't get passed or if a certain you know regulation on how tax money is spent isn't isn't as you like it at the end of the day we all have an interest of coming together to make sure to fight against these countries and look we can we can do other episodes on that too if you guys would like that but uh i think i think i think that's a good place to end it because i'm kind of outline both sides but i just think america is a different beast when it comes to some of these countries in europe that can be more protectionist um and more democratic in a sense because they have a lot less um political divisions and turmoil than we do um so well yeah i mean it's a tough one i think that there's division across the world and i think as americans i mean we do sometimes kind of forget that there's division in other countries but i think we've also got a lot of problems at home it doesn't mean we should split apart the union is stronger together i'm with you i think we should keep the country together at all costs we make compromises we try and make things better for everyone so i mean yeah so you know in conclusion we've talked about a lot of stuff today we've gone all over you know jumping around and gaming uh nfts uh crypto all sorts of stuff but you know i think that our big takeaway here is uh you know american politics is tumultuous volatile and it's something you got to keep up with you know if you're if you're you're looking to be involved with politics you gotta you know pay attention and you know you keep up with stories that are popping up in the news and yeah so i think that that does it for us you know thanks for listening uh you know, we appreciate all the support thus far. You know, be sure to follow us on Patreon if you if you if you like it. And yeah, so that's about it. So we'll see ya. Yeah. Thank you guys. See you later. Yep. <laughs>